This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm crazy grateful for all of you who subscribe, share, and leave reviews. If this is your first time, welcome to the Elevate community. Like our home church, Living Word, I and the Elevate leaders work as hard as we can to build an atmosphere of love to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. It would mean the world to us if you helped us get the word out by sharing this episode on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. What is in a name? That's what Juliet asked when she was thinking about Romeo. There's a lot that's packed into a name. Whenever you hear someone's name, a lot of different images, memories, and thoughts come with that. Think about how much history comes with a name. If you see a childhood friend or someone brings up a name from a childhood friend, you remember all those things that that go with it, right? There is a reputation with a name for for good or bad. You hear of that girl's name in school and you're like, ooh, yeah, oh, oh, that guy, Mm mm-hmm. Like I told Jackie, like, there's several names on the list that no matter how many kids we're having, we're never naming these names. I have bad baggage attached to some names. With a name comes identification, history, reputation. It helps us make connections. Around here, how many times do you hear someone's last name and you're like, oh, are you related to that family? Oh, you are, which is everybody around here. Y'all all related. Yeah, that's why you have to send your, your girls out to get guys like me and bring us back. Mm-hmm. And a name can also denote authority. Whenever, back in the day, when they had kings, they would say, do such and such in the name of the king, because that name brings authority. And we're going to look at the name of God. What, what should come to our mind when we think of the name of God? Psalm 8, verses 1, 3 through 4, and 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you would care for him? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Throughout the Bible, we see a lot of emphasis is placed on God's name. In 2 Chronicles, God's people are called by his name. Proverbs says that his name is a strong tower. John says that the children of God are those who believe in his name. Psalms, again, 148, his name alone is to be praised and exalted. We pray in his name. We give thanks in his name. We ask for forgiveness in his name. We have faith in his name. Miracles are performed in his name. We baptize in his name. There is life in the name of of our God. And with all this scriptural emphasis, this series is not wrapped until we talk about the name of God. Now, to give you a little bit of context, we're going to study out Exodus chapter 3, where God gives us his name, and he gives it to Moses. But I want you to know something really interesting, that before Exodus 3, there are many names, quote, names attached to God, but all of them are titles, Titles that recognize God's power. They recognize attributes about him, but they're not his name. If you look in the Hebrew, 
all the names of God that we see throughout Genesis up to Exodus 3 are names like, I think we can just put them up. There's one that recognizes that he is the creator and possessor of earth. I, I want to try to pronounce this. Kona Shemayim Wa'aretz. And it means creator. Now look at every name after this. All sufficient mighty God, that's El Shaddai, that's aseity. begins with the word El. So does God eternal, El Olam. Or God most high, El Elyon. Or the God who sees me, El Roy. God who is all powerful, Elohim, the God of Israel, El Elohi Israel. They all begin with El. And that word El is just the generic word God, lowercase g. It could be any God. Until you attach a title to it, like the God who sees, the God Almighty, the God Creator, it's just generic God. And so up until Exodus 3, God is known for thousands of years of human history by his titles. Look how, just leave those up. Look how God has been revealing the attributes that we studied through his names. Look, we have aseity, we have his um, omnipresence, we have his omniscience, we have his omnipotence, immutable, like... These are the attributes that he's been revealing through those titles, but not his name. Consider that a title brings recognition, but there's some distance with a title. Consider, like, maybe it's your first time at church, and there's the guy on stage, and you recognize him, you even call him the pastor, right? That's his title. Yeah, the pastor. Now, how different is that? From whenever you maybe see them at a church function, he makes eye contact with you, crosses the room, puts out his hand and says, Hi, my name is Pastor Ben. And we have the kind of pastor that sits outside the front door and meets people. I love our pastor. He loves people and he loves God's word. And I'm all in for that. But think of the difference between that's the pastor and, Hi, my name is Pastor Ben. The difference between, excuse me, sir, and, hey, Ben. See how it denotes a different relationship on how you address someone? God, in Exodus 3, takes a giant step towards us in his revelation of his name to continue to develop relationship with us. And you know what? Up until now, God has not given it. In Exodus 6, God actually says, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, Elohim, my name the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. That's profound. So this is big. This is what's happening. So leading up to Exodus 3, Abraham has 12 great-grandchildren. They're the sons of Israel. And each of them become their own tribe. Now, one of those great-grandsons goes through this crazy series of events, and he ends up being the second most powerful ruler of all Egypt. And his family was actually back in Canaan. But what happened in Canaan was a famine that threatened to kill everybody. And God was able to use Joseph, this guy over in Egypt, to call his family to ultimately salvation to live in Egypt with him. And so by this time, they had become a tribe of 72 people. And they go to Egypt. Now they get to Egypt and things are good. They're so good, they just start multiplying. Babies on top of babies on top of babies. And the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh ship turns over several times until there's someone who doesn't remember Joseph doesn't remember that Joseph saved Egypt. doesn't remember that this is Joseph's family. But he sees just this swelling number of Israelites. And he starts getting scared that they're going to rise up against him. So he sends out his soldiers and they enslave them and turn them into Egypt's workforce. Hard, oppressive slavery to try to do damage control, crowd control, population control 
and it backfires. Under slavery, they multiply more. They just don't stop. 400 years of abusive, horrible slavery. And God says he heard their cries. He saw what was happening with his people in Egypt. And this is where we're going to pick up. Exodus 2, 24-25, And God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant. Hang on to that. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And he saw the people of Israel, and God knew. That covenant that it's talking about, God made that covenant with Abraham. He made that covenant again with Jacob. And he made that covenant, or Isaac, and then again with Jacob. It's this repeating theme. So here we go, Exodus chapter 3. I'm so excited. Now Moses, oh wait, i got to give you Moses. Okay, so if you haven't read Exodus lately, shame on you. Moses, through a crazy series of events, was born an Israelite. And God, again, did his God awesome maneuvering until Moses was living in the house of Pharaoh, hiding his Israelite identity. And he's walking in public, and he sees one of the Egyptians beating one of his people, one of the Israelites. He intercedes and ends up killing this Egyptian. Now he's a wanted man, and he just runs for the desert. There's, there's no, I mean, he's a, a wanted fugitive, so he heads for the desert for 40 years living out there, and he left with nothing but the clothes on his back. And that's where we pick up. Excuse me. Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law. Moses was so humbled, he goes from living in Pharaoh's palace to tending sheep that aren't even his. They belong to his father-in-law. Jethro, the priest of Midian, he married into a pagan priestly family. So interesting. And he, as he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, and yet it wasn't consumed. And Moses said, I'm going to turn to see this great sight and why the bush isn't burned. So just as some insight, if you want to get a guy's attention, use fire. All right, we're all on the same page. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush Moses, Moses, stop right there. That is fascinating. The last time that we have written down that God spoke to someone was Jacob long over 400 years before. And my, one of my professors always said, look for first speeches in the Bible. They're always significant. Consider this, 400 years of God's silence, of, of, of knowledge about God, falling into nothing more than spoken tradition passed down to families around campfires. And suddenly God speaks, and he knows Moses' name. God's first words are to call Moses by his name. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. The place on which you're standing is holy ground. It was customary that when you enter someone's house, your sandals were covered in the filth of the roads where animals are, are all day. So you come into someone's house, you take your sandals off. Moses is coming into God's house right now. And it's gonna, he's going to come in with reverence as a servant before God. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Now, notice that God gave out the same three names. 
Abraham, Isaac, Joseph. Because he's not just identifying himself as the God of his forefathers, he's also bringing to mind that covenant. It's so important. Remember, the last verse of chapter 2 was, and God remembered his covenant. And he's saying, Abraham, I'm the God that gave covenant to your forefathers. I'm bringing this to mind, and I'm about to make good on my covenant here. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Oh, man, if you kept reading Exodus, we would see Moses grow as a man of God. That's, that's like Moses' arc. As he goes from being like hiding himself from God, and then you fast forward in Exodus, and Moses is standing in the very presence of God that is so thick that Moses' skin glows when he leaves, and he stands before God and says, God, show me your face. Show me your glory. I want to know you more. Look how Moses grows. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. God had heard their groaning in Egypt, and he's about to make good on his covenant. So Moses is going to be going to a country that is saturated in pagan worship to false gods, idols. Everything that Egyptians did revolved around their mythology. And he's about to step into this context. They had gods for everything. Everything revolved around this idolatry. And I love, and what all these idols, what all these gods had in common is expressed in Psalm 115. This is verses 4 through 8. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, why should the nations say, where is their God? See, so many of the pagan nations would say, look, there's our God. He's right over there. He's this 10-foot marble statue. And they're all looking at, at the Israelites going, well, where is your God? We don't see him. And their response would be, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And pay attention. Their idols are silver and gold and work of human hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. Eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. Noses, and they don't smell. They have hands, and they don't feel. And feet, but they don't walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. Think about that. Those who worship a blind God become blind themselves. Those who worship a mute God end up speaking emptiness. Those who follow a God that has no purpose have purposeless lives. And that's still so true today. If we're going to pursue money, your value in your life becomes nothing more than that number. It's empty, it's hollow, it's going nowhere. If you're going to pursue sex, run. But you know what? Your life will be nothing more than that. Whatever you worship, whether it's your reputation, whether it's your grades, whether it's this or the ladder you're climbing, whatever you're doing, you will become like that thing, as empty and frail as that. Deaf, blind, mute, static, and stupid. These idols are nothing more than the figments of man-made imagination. The idol has whatever powers they decided that it had. Now listen. Exodus 3, 7-8, God is introducing himself still. Then the Lord said, Surely I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings 
I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and a broad land. Not only am I coming, I'm coming with intentions, I'm coming with purpose, but I'm going to bring them up as in with them, I'm bringing them up out of Egypt together. What, what's different when contrasts this God against everything else in Egypt is that this is a God who perceives and this is a God who responds. He's taking them to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites and a whole bunch of other ites. The God that Moses is encountering is nothing like he's ever experienced before. And this God is about to take action on behalf of of his people, and it's going to be wild. Exodus 3, let's keep going. God is speaking. He says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? Who am I? What's Moses saying? He's saying, God, I don't have reputation. I don't have any power or ability. I don't have connections. What do I have? This is it. What you see here. These aren't even my sheep. God, who, who am I? But he's asking the wrong question. So God doesn't answer Moses' question. God, in fact, instead answers the question he didn't ask. How does God respond? And he said, but I will be with you. That makes all the difference. These people's salvation is not based on Moses. Their salvation is completely on the shoulders of Almighty God. You know what's crazy? God can ask you to do the impossible if he's with you. We're going, God, no, it's too hard. It's too uncomfortable. It's too outside my comfort zone. And God has every right to ask you to do what is completely impossible if he's with you. That's the God we serve. It was never about who Moses was. It was about who this God is, who's speaking to him. I will be with you. That is so, so beautiful. And this will be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. Moses, you're going to go there, and you're going to bring them back here. And when they get back, it will not be a burning bush. The presence of God will have descended on the mountain so that to this day, the mountain is still charred on top. They have to send people to sneak into the fence because it's walled off and people can't get in anymore. It's crazy. I love it. Moses asks about his credentials, and God responds with his own character. The right question is, the right question that he should have asked was, Will you be with us? Remember what I said about Moses, that he's a guy who grows? That's his ark. Because fast forward again, the Israelites are going to get themselves into all kinds of trouble, major, messed up, bad sin. And God's going to tell Moses, Moses, I'm going to send you guys into the land that I promised. I'm going to give you all the gifts that I promised, but my presence will not go with you. The people are too sinful. And this time, Moses is not concerned about his own credentials anymore. Moses' response is, and Moses says to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. 
It's never been about the gifts. It's never been about the, the promise. It is completely about are you or are you not with us? Because that makes all the difference. Are you walking with God tonight? Because his presence in your life makes all the difference. I love how Moses grows. It's so great. All right, let's pick up the story of Moses 3, beginning in 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? I love that God. Moses just asked big questions. Tell me your name, God. Show me your face. So cool. May we be so bold. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. The Hebrew phrase of I am pronounced is Yahweh. It symbolizes Y-H-W-H, because ancient Hebrew didn't have vowels. Yahweh. I am that I am. There's so many layers to this. It's so beautiful. But I want to start at the top. I am, all that I am, it's that that I am. It's kind of like if you put this up like an equation, and you put God on one side of an equal sign. Let's do that. Put that up there. God's on one side of an equal sign. What belongs on the other side of the equal side? What? What can go on the other side? Nothing but God himself. Some people might say you can make an argument for love. Isn't that what John says? God is love. But you couldn't flip-flop it. You can't. Love is not God. The only thing that deserves to be on the other side of the equal sign, the one thing that stands alone in all the universe is God himself. I am that I am. And if God is infinite, there's no room for a second. He looks around. There's nobody up here but me. I am that I am. What is God revealing about himself? In a world of empty idols, empty gods, gods which are not, he is I am. He is completely self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything from anyone. He is completely content, self-sufficient in himself. He is the great I am. As the great I am, he is self-existent. He doesn't rely on anyone or anything for life. He always was. As I am, he is eternal. He exists both directions on the timeline. If you went in eternity before time began, he was already I am. And if you went in eternity past when the timeline ends, he is still I am. And in every point in between, he is perpetually always I am. He is the creator and originator of all things. All things must be from the only self-sufficient, self-existent God. If he is I am, that means his character is completely unchanging. He is immutable. All of what he is is never in the process of being something different. He is I am. He is exactly who he's revealed to be and so much more, but never less. He exists above and apart from any box that we try to invent for him in our desperate attempt to make him understandable. 
Every time we try to take this box and say, God, I'm going to figure you out. All we're doing is trying to make God more like me. More like something I can understand. And yet, he is forever I am. The Jews give such reverence to God's name that they don't even speak it. There was a period of history where they wouldn't even, as they're making copies of the Old Testament, they wouldn't even write the name. Instead, they would replace it with four dots, dot, 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 dot. I had the opportunity when I was in California one time to see the Dead Sea Scrolls, and you would see this is a page from Psalm whatever, and you'd see these little four dots right in the middle of the psalm. They gave it such reverence and awe. Most Bible translations still hold to the tradition of replacing Whenever the Greeks translated it from Hebrew to Greek, they replaced the, the name, the divine name, with just Lord, Kyrios in Greek. And so most of your Bible translations are going to follow that tradition, and instead of writing YHWH, the name of God, they're going to replace it with Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D. It's going to look something like that. But now when you see that in your Bible, it changes how you read it. It starts coming to life when now you can read Psalm 8. Verse 1, where you read, Oh, Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name. It changes when we recognize God's divine name throughout all of Scripture. When this carries the weight of being immutable, of being self-existent, self-sufficient, all-creating God, all-eternal God is now a part of the scriptures that we read. God is initiating relationship on a level that he never had before by giving his name and by making Moses a promise. I will be with you. And it's that that I want to focus on for the last few minutes of this. I will be with you. It was by no mistake that Matthew picked up on this and applied it to Jesus. When you look at the book of Matthew, Matthew bookends the gospel. And he bookends it with this. Matthew chapter 1. And he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew 28, the last book of the Bible. Jesus is speaking. The last words that come out of Jesus' mouth. And I will be with you even to the end of the age. That is not a coincidence. That is Matthew scandalously applying Yahweh and his covenant to Jesus Christ. And this is the reason that even Paul picks up on the same theme. Philippians 2, 9-11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, Jesus is actually not a unique name in the Bible. It's actually just the name Joshua. Jehoshua. Jesus. So what sets the name of Jesus apart as being the name above every name? You know what Joshua means? Joshua means the divine name, Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is salvation. What gives the common name of Jesus power, what elevates it, is that Jesus 
And Jesus alone can stand on the other side of the equal sign. That's profound. That should make you sit up just a little bit more because when we understand the divine name and we realize that this is Yahweh saving his people through and as Jesus Christ, it changes everything for our perspective on who God is. Only Jesus can stand on the other side of the equal sign, rightfully. Colossians 1.15, he is the image. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before, he is eternal, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. John 14, 8 through 10, Philip is asking Jesus a question. He says, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. We'll believe if you just show us the Father. And Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. God's covenant promise to be with his people is more than just a commitment for proximity. It's not that God was standing on that side of the stage from me, and God's like, I'm going to be with you, so okay, now he's on this side of the stage with me. This isn't about proximity. We're talking about an omnipresent God. He is everywhere at every point in the universe at the same time. No, no, no. When he says, I will be with you, he is talking about relationship. He's talking about a change in relationship. Because in our rebellion, when we chose our idol, our little g God named self over him, we rejected and have rejected. And it's only through Jesus, Yahweh saves, that my sin can be removed so that our relationship Everything changes. That God could be with us. It's through Jesus that God made this possible. 1 John 4.10, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a funny word, propitiation. You know they had to make up that word 700 years ago? Because there's no great English equivalent for the Greek word. Ultimately, propitiation means that God is wrathful and angry against us because of our sin. And Jesus, at the cross, appeased, put to rest that wrath. He was a propitiation. We deserved the hell wrath of God, and that was, and it was just against us. It was righteous wrath. And Jesus meets the requirements. His perfect holiness, the only one who can stand on the other side of the equal sign, gave his life for us. Thank you, Jesus. And it's this God with an unchanging name that changes our name forever. Whenever God does something, like when he changes someone's name from Abram to Abraham, great father to father of many nations. It's God making a promise. 
It's God making covenant. He has changed our name. Does anyone know the book, movie, story of Pilgrim's Progress? Anyone? Anyone? This was the number two selling book of all time for, for a while. It was only outsold by the Bible. Shocker. And if you know the story, it's probably easy for you to remember the main character, the pilgrim's name. Anyone? What's the main character's name? It's not pilgrim. What's his name? It's an allegory of a man walking through life, dealing with temptations towards heaven. What's his name? Christian. Yeah, his name is Christian. No. Now, here you go. Here's the million-dollar question. Does anyone remember what his name was before Christian? There's there's an interchange that he has with a man who's a porter, and I want to put that up there for you. The porter asks, what is your name? And the pilgrim responds, my name is now Christian, but my name at the first was graceless. What a way to sum up all into one name. And that is the story of everyone in here who has called on the name of God, who has called on Jesus to give your life to him. You went from being named graceless to God putting his name on you, to calling you a Christian. Therefore, we wear the name of Christ proudly. It's a sign of our salvation, and it's, a, it's an arrow that points to God's glory. Even if someone calls your Christian mockingly, they are calling out the covenant of your God to die on the cross so that you could be with him. doesn't matter how they say it. You're a Christian. You have the name of God placed on you. Psalm 8. Oh Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars, which you have set into place, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. Oh, Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Recap. God revealing his name to us was an intentional step for relationship with us. God's name, Yahweh, means I am. And his name represents, his name is represented by the Lord in your Bibles, in all caps. God promises to be with his people. God's promise to be with us was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who is Yahweh. And it's through the sacrifice of Jesus that we can be with God and carry his name. If you want to study this out more, study this out more, I want to pose a question to you. A lot of people say that Jesus never claimed to be God. So I ask you, did Jesus ever claim to be God? And I'll send you to John 8, 12 through 59 as an area to just go study, see what you see. Here's some challenges for you. Challenge number one, tell someone this week that you're a Christian. Let's, let's shed off this taboo about one of the most incredible gifts that have ever been given to us, an eternal, incredible gift of love that God has paid for us. Tell someone this week you're a Christian. That's your challenge. Challenge number two, as you start reading your Bible, I hope you're going to start reading your Bible. I hope you live and breathe Scripture. But as you're reading the Old Testament, as you come on to all caps, Lord, 
begin to replace that with now the divine name that you know. Take the Lord and replace it with Yahweh. And then their third challenge is to read the book of John and highlight all of Jesus's I am statements. There's eight of them. Go find them. Highlight them. I'll give you the first one. I am the bread of life. So much depth. Lord, this was all for your glory. Oh, Lord, be glorified. Lord, it's in your name that we have salvation. It's in your name that you are with us, that we can be with you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. Oh, how that phrase has so much more value. You saved us. Lord, empower your people to shed being undercover Christians, but to wear the label because it points to glorifying you and the God who put that name on us. Thank you, Jesus, for every man and woman of God in this room. Let our love for you grow and grow. Let our love for your word pour out. May we be hungry for your word. Lord, I pray that students in this room just get sucked into the story of the Bible, pulled in by the theology and the wisdom the beauty, the songs. Lord, capture and captivate your people. And Lord, let us stand in awe and with great reverence love your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.